You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. Let's open to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to continue with our sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hope everyone had a very special Thanksgiving holiday and appreciate so much you gathering on this first day of a brand new week to worship with us here at Hardin Baptist. And a special welcome to all of you who are joining us uh, online this morning. We appreciate so much that you worship with us and listen to God's word with us this morning here at Hardin. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through seven, listen to what God's word says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than the offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth and let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Father, one more time we ask you to Just anoint your word that we're going to try to proclaim this morning. Father, what an honor it is to just come into your presence as your church, knowing and believing with all of our heart that you rolled out the red carpet of your son so that we can approach you right now. And Father, we've come to not only worship you and praise you, but part of our worship and praise of you is is our desire to listen to you and to hear your word. Thank you for the truth you've been revealing to us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And now help us examine these particular verses and make application to our lives. Father, none of us have come this morning to be a hearer only. We truly want to be doers of your word And Father, I never want to be a speaker only of your word. I too want to be a doer. Father, thank you for your anointing that's going to open our eyes and ears and minds and hearts to truth now. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to title the message this morning, Going to the House of God in a Fallen World. 
I don't know about you, but as I've been listening to Corey preach through these first four chapters in the book of Ecclesiastes, and then I began to read chapter five, there seems to be a change in Solomon's tone. There seems to be a change in atmosphere. Instead of him just reflecting on how the world is fallen, He's now gonna talk about those of us who go to the house of the Lord and he's gonna give us advice, three principles that he lays down about what should happen in our lives as we go to the house of the Lord in a fallen world. So we're gonna try to present those three thoughts to ourselves this morning. So keep this in mind, these seven verses are talking about going to the house of God in a fallen world. And the first thing Solomon says is guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. Watch your steps. As you approach the house of God and get ready to go into the house of God, the temple that stood in Jerusalem, where God's presence was manifested, Solomon said, watch your step. Guard how you walk. Guard how you step into the presence of God. Now, I don't know why, I hope it's correct, but when I began to read this passage this week, I couldn't get off my mind, Celise and I, in 2005, getting to go to Scotland for our 25th anniversary of marriage. And before we went to Scotland, we went to England, and while we're in England, we got to spend about three days in London. And one of my favorite parts of being in London, being a Dexter kid, was going into the underground and getting on a train and then zipping to another part of London. Now, the first time I went under the underground and I went through the turnstile, there was this big sign on the wall that said, mind the gap. All of my years being raised in Dexter, I had never heard the phrase, mind the gap. So I'm looking at mind the gap. And then I noticed, because we were there early, there was no one standing in front of me where the train was going to stop, and there were several places on the platform, right at the edge, was the phrase, mind the gap. And then when that train finally came in and stopped, the doors opened, and when the doors opened, people rushed out, and as I was getting ready to get on the train, The train doors open right where those signs were on the platform saying, mind the gap. And by now I've figured it out. See what they were telling me was, while I might feel safe on this platform, there is gonna be a danger to me when I get ready to step on that train because there is a gap between the platform and the train. Now, we would say in America, watch your step. But in England, they say, get your mind on the gap. And what I noticed was, if you stood here and you looked down the platform, 
that gap was different from one end of the platform to the other end. In some of the train stations, the platform was actually straight and the train track was a little on a curve. And if you were on the end of the platform, there could be as much as 12 to 14 inches of gap between the platform and the train. So what they're trying to tell me is, I'm in a danger zone. And I need to be careful. I need to keep my mind focused on this gap so that when I take my step, I don't fall into the gap, but I step over the gap into the safety of the train. Does that make sense? Now, I gotta be honest with you. I never thought when I went into the underground, I was in a danger zone. Solomon is saying to the children of Israel, when you go to the house of God, better watch your step. Better guard how you walk. You know why? Because you're in a danger zone. You're going to be stepping into the presence of God. So in other words, you better mind the gap. There is a big gap. There's a big difference between being in your house and now being in his house. His house speaks about who he is. And here's what the Old Testament's gonna reveal to us about God. He's holy, holy, holy. Remember Isaiah 6? King Uzziah's died. Isaiah goes to the temple to mourn the death of the king and he sees the king sitting on his throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe fills the temple. And he sees six winged creatures with two wings they cover their feet, with two wings they cover their face, with two wings they fly. But the emphasis of Isaiah is on their speech. They're arranged in a heavenly choir and one side is singing to the other side. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And when they say that, the other side responds back, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then the other side begins to sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they sing this back and forth to each other in the presence of God. Only attribute of God ever elevated to the third superlative is his holy. When you step into the house of the Lord, you're not stepping into the presence of a God who is holy. A God who is holy, holy, holy. Isaiah here is trying to capture the transcendence of God. He's in a class all by himself. He is the holy other one. He is beyond time, in time and outside of time at the same time. So here's what Solomon's trying to say. Yes, you live in a fallen world, but when you come to worship God in his house in a fallen world, you better put your hard hat on. 
because you're literally entering to the presence of God. Wow. Mind the gap. If you're gonna go to the house of the Lord in a fallen world. And then he says, it's better to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know they are doing evil. And then if I could paraphrase, he says, don't let your mouth get you in trouble. Watch what your heart's gonna say. For God is in heaven, you are on the earth, so let your words be few. Whoa. So if we're gonna go to the house of God in a fallen world, we first of all, mind the gap, but secondly, according to Solomon, we need to open our ears and close our mouths. You don't come to the house of God to do. You come to the house of God to listen. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always read my Old Testament kind of had this thought that when they went to the house of God, they went to the house of God and they offered a sacrifice and God accepted their sacrifice and that kept them in a right relationship with God. But evidently, that wasn't the primary reason you went to the temple. You didn't go to the temple to sacrifice, especially to make the sacrifice of fools. Scholarly world's not 100% sure what this phrase, sacrifice of fools, means. But most likely, it refers to people who regularly went to the house of God and they took their sacrifice, but when they took their sacrifice, their heart wasn't in it. They were just going through the motions, so to speak. They were doing a physical thing. They were bringing what they thought God required of them, but their thought wasn't in it. Their mind wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't in it. So it was considered a sacrifice of fools to the point that the people who were regularly worshiping in the temple, Solomon says, they are doing evil and they don't even know it. Can you imagine bringing a sacrifice to God that you thought was what God wanted and made you right with God and then God looks down on it and says, it's sin, it's evil, and he rejects it? So here's what Solomon says. When you go to the house of God, go to listen. Go to listen. And zip it. This is harsh. Why would he say this? Because he reminds us God is in heaven and we're on the earth. Whoa. So there's a big, big difference in who God is, the creator, and who we are, the creature. So when we go to his house, it's not about us. When we go to his house, it's about him. And we go to his house to listen to him. Now, why should we listen to him? Because he has a different view of the fallen world than we have. 
He has the heavenly view. We have the earthly view. Everybody agree? Now, when I was reading this, I couldn't help think about that verse where Isaiah in the 55th chapter, verse eight and nine, talks about God saying to Israel this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Wow. I know we know this to be true, but let's just think about this in concrete terms. God says his thoughts and his ways are as much higher than mine and yours as the heavens are above the earth. Now you gotta remember at this time, children of Israel believed in what was called a three-storied universe. First story of the universe was earth and what we would call the atmosphere. And then the second story with what we would call outer space where the moon and stars were and then the third heaven that's where God lived so God's saying my thoughts and my ways are as far apart as where you live in the first story of the universe to where I live in the third story of the universe that's pretty far apart amen you know this I know I look up at the moon and and sometimes it looks like you can just reach out and touch it. Agreed? On average, 238,855 miles from here. Wow. That's a long way. Sun, on average, 94 million miles away. And have you seen all those other suns out there in the sky? At night? Can't even count them. If I'm correct, we don't measure some of those stars in miles, we measure them in light years. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. If you do the math, I can't give you all the numbers, but can I round it up? Light travels nearly 5.9 trillion miles a year. And we measure stars in light years. I pulled up a site on the internet that talked about the vastness of the universe. I'm not even going to tell you how many millions of light years apart it is. Mind blowing. I know you're not going to like this, but here's what God says through Solomon. When you come to my house, zip it. Don't come to my house to tell others what you know. Come to my house to hear from me. Come to hear me speak to you through my word, through my messenger. And please don't let your mouth in my presence get you into trouble. 
And then he talks about something that we don't fully understand. I don't know that I have a grasp of it. But he compares somebody who works hard having dreams to someone who is a fool who speaks many words. And this is in Hebrew parallelism, which means this second part is referring to that first part for clarity. I remember being in ag class at Callaway County High School and my ag teacher, Mr. Eugene Cheney, used to say this quite regularly to us. He'd say, better to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. That's kind of what Solomon's saying. You better be careful when you come to the house of God because my thoughts, my ways are so much higher than yours that when you open your mouth, you're gonna reveal you're a fool. And if you open your mouth a lot, you're gonna really reveal who you are. And get this thought, here's the thought. Fools bringing sacrifices and they don't even know that what they're sacrificing to God isn't making them right with him. It's revealing they're wrong with him. Wow. Can you imagine living in a fallen world in Solomon's day and being able to go to the house of the Lord and be doing things that look one way on the outside but wasn't revealing what was really true on the inside? Mind the gap. Open your ears, close your mouth. And then verses four through seven, he says this. And do what you say you're gonna do. There was something about coming to that magnificent temple that Solomon built, entering into the presence of the Lord with other fellow worshipers and having an emotional experience, an intellectual experience where you wanted to do something for God and then you'd stand up and make it known before others of what you were gonna do for God. And then go back home and by midweek had no plans to fulfill the vow you made to God. And Solomon says, you know what? It'd be better when you come to church if you didn't even make a vow, it'd be better if you'd come to church and not even say you're gonna do something to say you're gonna do something and then not do it. Because he says, you don't want the messenger to remind you that you haven't kept your vow. So imagine you're in the house of God. The messenger, no doubt, is probably referring to a priest. And a priest knows that you've made a commitment to God. And now months have passed and you've not kept your, your commitment. And now the messenger comes up to you and says, oh, yes, by the way, Matthew, didn't you promise you would do this to God? You still haven't done it. It's time to pay up. And then you try to make an excuse of why you told God you would do whatever you did, but now you're not doing it. And basically, Solomon's gonna say this. Your mouth's got you in trouble again. It's led you to say you would do something that you had no intention of doing and you can't do 
And now because of your voice, God's gonna do something to the work of your hands. He's not gonna bless what you're gonna do outside the temple and it's all your fault because you didn't do what you said you would do. So just do what you say you're gonna do when you come into the presence of God. And then he closes with this. For what we're really supposed to do is fear God. Have an awe of God. Have a respect for God. See, Solomon knew that he'd built that house for God. Now he's observing worship. Not people who occasionally, the people who went regularly. And he knew when they came into God's house, it wasn't about God's house, it's about them. It wasn't about God, it's about them. God wasn't on their heart. God wasn't on their mind. They were on their heart. They were on their mind. And there was no fear of God. There was no respect for God. There was no awe of God. There was no trembling in the presence of God. Wow. Can you imagine going to church, or I'm sorry, going to the house of God in a fallen world? So Solomon says, mind the gap, open your ears, close your mouth, and do what you say you're going to do. 23 minutes and 51 seconds. That's how much time we got left. That's it. That's the sermon. We still got 23 minutes and 32 seconds. We've almost got time to preach another sermon. A second sermon. Are y'all in? Because here's my dilemma. Everything I just said to you that Solomon said doesn't work on this side of the cross. Because we don't go to the house of God. Been preaching that for years. We don't go to church. We are the church. So I've got 22 minutes and 32 seconds to come up with a whole nother title to a whole new sermon. And here's the title. Being the church, being the house of God in a fallen world. Wow. For see, we have the privilege this morning of not just looking at the book of Ecclesiastes from Solomon's point of view, this side of the cross. We can look at his words from this side of the cross and realize we don't go to church, we are the church. The church is the house of God. All of those stories in the Old Testament, all of those prophecies about God raising up someone to build a house wasn't referring to David and it wasn't referring to Solomon and it wasn't referring to Zerubbabel, but it was referring to his son, Jesus Christ, who would send, he would send in the world to build his house. 
And his house isn't made of stone and marble and wood, but his church, his house is built of believers, both Jew and Gentiles, who've had the middle wall of petition broken down. And so what you and I need to think about now is not going to the house of God, but being the house of God. So what would Solomon say to us? He'd say, watch your step. Mind the gap. Whoa. We are the church. We're supposed to be straight. But many of the people we encounter aren't straight. They're crooked. So you know what ought to happen when someone comes into our presence? They would have to mind the gap. You get it? There is a difference between your life and those people who are not part of the church. The difference is not going to be as great as God and us. But the difference still should be great. Why? Because God is holy, holy, holy. And therefore his house should be holy. God, Jesus, yes, in heaven, Jesus at the right hand throne of God. But where is the third person of the triune Godhead? Where? Yeah. In us. We are his house. We are his temple. He is holy, therefore we should be holy We can't dumb down who we are to influence a lost world. We must be who God's made us. And there will be a gap. And people living around us will realize there's a danger when they come into our presence because when they come into our presence, they're not just coming into the presence of us, they're coming into the presence of God who is holy, holy, holy. There should be a difference between the life of the person who's been set free from the power of sin and has been transformed a sinner into a saint of God than the person who's still bound in sin and is a sinner and his nature to sin. There should be a radical difference. We can't make God who is holy, holy, holy common 
he's already revealed who he is through a man. And he was holy, holy, holy too. Tempted to sin like us, yet did not. And now he's in heaven and we're on the earth and we are his body. So you need to mind the gap. You need to focus on how your life and my life should be different from those who do not know Christ. We're not talking about how we act when we gather. Yes, this ought to be holy when we gather. But we don't gather that much. But we live scattered a lot. And it's why we're scattered. Living in the presence of those who do not know Christ that we realize who we are. We are God's house. We're God's church. We should mind the gap. Secondly, if I can borrow from James and impose James's words on Solomon, let's be quick to listen and slow to speak. There is a time to speak, but our words can't be flesh-centered. Our words can't be about us. Our words can't be our thoughts. Our words must be God's thoughts. We've tried to build the gathering of God's saints as the church around the preaching, teaching of his word. We're not criticizing others who do this differently, but it's why we don't just choose random thoughts. Each Sunday, we choose books of the Bible. We stay in those books. We interpret those books verse by verse because we want to preach God's word, not our word. But we don't just do that when we gather. We got to do that when we scatter. We got to be listening. Listening to God speak to us through his word, not through an experience. Not through just what somebody else says. But what his word says. What his word says to us, and we need to be quick to listen. We want to be a doer of the word. If we're going to be a doer of the word, we got to know the word. So when we, as Christ's body, as the temple of the Holy Spirit, recognize we're in the presence of the Lord, let's be quick to listen to him. Let's be slow when we speak back. But can I also say this? There's another dimension to being the house of God. And being the house of God just isn't about him, it's about them. And we need to listen to them too. And be slow to speak. You ever notice that when you're talking, people don't think you're listening to them? 
You ever heard anybody just look you in the face and say, could you just hush for a minute? You ever been in that real close relationship where somebody just said, shut up! You're not hearing a word I'm saying. I think that's how many people out in the world feel. We don't get it. We don't understand. Oh, we think we understand. We think we get it. And we think we've got the answer. And we want to tell them the answer, but we don't want to take time to listen to the problem. We don't want to take time to hear them tell us about their scars and their baggage and the bondage and the brokenness. So can I just say, if we're going to be the house of God, we need to be quick to listen to God. But we need to be quick to listen to the world. And then as we listen, when we speak, we don't speak our word. We speak God's word. God's word. Why do we want to speak God's word? Because his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours. We're not going to the house of God. We are the house of God. So mind the gap. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then thirdly in closing, do your part. Here's the commitment we should make. Here's our commitment. To recognize that God made me a part of his body and all he requires of me is to do my part. Just be the best part I can be. Wow. If you're the foot, you don't have to be the hand. If you're a hand, you don't have to be a knee. If you're a knee, you don't have to be an elbow. You just gotta be a part. Are you doing your part? Are you being the best part you can be? You can't live your life isolated from being part of something bigger than you. And that's a body. The body of Christ. The house of God. Paul would tell us that each one of us has been given a spiritual gift At the moment of our salvation in Christ, Holy Spirit of God gave us a spiritual gift. And that gift wasn't given to us for our edification, but it was given for the edification of the body of Christ. And we have a spiritual ministry. We have a place or places to use that spiritual gift on behalf of the body of Christ. Inside the walls, outside the walls. When it's gathered, when it's scattered. And we have a spiritual enabling. 
Holy Spirit going to take us with our giftedness in our place of ministry. And then he has a spiritual enabling that he's given us. Some of us will just influence a few. Some of us will influence hundreds. Some of us will influence thousands. That has nothing to do with us. That has everything to do with God. I don't worry about those things. You shouldn't worry about those things. All we should worry about is doing our part. It's all you gotta do, your part. And when you do your part, and you do your part, and I do my part, we do our part. And we display the manifested presence of Christ to the community in which we live. Wow. So in this fallen world, I just need to mind the gap. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And do my part. You can do this. I can do this. We can be who God's called us to be. Because we've been redeemed from this fallen world in which we live. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. For the truth Solomon wrote to a group of people who lived on that side of the cross. Thank you, Father, that your plan wasn't for you to have one house in Jerusalem and all of us go to that house, but your plan was for there to be a house among all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. You wanted the whole world to see your manifested presence. You wanted the whole world to see what happened in the life of a sinner who becomes a saint and becomes part of something bigger than their self. Wow. And ultimately, that brings honor and glory to you. Thank you, Father, that we don't go to your house anymore, but we are your house. Help us life out your manifested presence in this fallen world in which we live. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.